Yeah, and that was Steve's Steve's MO. Steve would t- tend to arrive to meetings a little early. His question was, you know, why are you here? Why are you here now? So, and if you didn't give a, an acceptable answer, he was he was like, you don't need to be here. Get out. Welcome to ADSP, the podcast, episode 28, recorded on May 19th, 2021. My name is Connor, and today with my co-host Bryce, we wrap up our three-part interview with Sean Parent, where he tells us some of his awesome Steve Jobs stories. Fast forward until after I left Apple. So, you know, I, I left Apple after five years and went to Adobe to work on Photoshop, and so I joined Adobe end of 93 uh, to work on work on Photoshop and a couple years after that uh, Steve Jobs came back to Apple so I always say I worked at Apple between jobs uh, because I, I I joined Apple right after Steve left and I left Apple right before Steve came back so so I worked at Apple between jobs so Steve came back and Apple proposed this operating system called Rhapsody um, uh, which was basically next step and they said they were canceling traditional Mac OS and uh, they were going to move to to Rhapsody which was uh, next step, which had came out of, of Next Computing, which is a company that's, that Steve had formed. And at the time, Apple had about 2% market share and was falling. Uh, and so the idea of supporting a new and different, radically different platform on what amounted to a, a, a failing company um, uh, was not particularly of interest to Adobe. And so uh, both Adobe and Microsoft had basically said, well, you know, that's very nice, but we decline. Uh, we won't be supporting your, your new operating system. And uh, before I had left Apple, I had worked at Apple on the transition from 68K processors to, to PowerPC processors. So, you know, I kind of knew you know, at the very low level, kind of how the operating system worked and how it was brought up and, you know, enough that I could could bring up, you know, with high amount of compatibility, uh, you know, a 68K box running in a, in a PowerPC box. And uh, so I wrote this uh, about a page and a half proposal that was known as the Cyan proposal. It was Cyan because Apple always color-coded their OSs and Cyan was a uh, was an unused color, and cyan is kind of a blend between uh, 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 blue and green, tending towards yellow a little bit. And, and Rhapsody, I think, was going to be yellow, and um, uh, traditional Mac OS was blue. And so, so I wrote this this cyan proposal, and basically it was a proposal for how you could have Mac compatibility inside of of this Rhapsody environment. And this was at, while you were at Apple or while you well, were Well, I was at Adobe. Adobe. Wrote I, I wrote this proposal up and um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, floated it up the management chain and it went to John Warnock, who at the time was our CEO. And, and uh, uh, we had lots of conversations and John was like, yeah, okay, if Apple did this, then we would support their new operating system. And so then we ended up in discussions uh, with Apple about, okay, you want us to support your new operating system, then build this bridge. 
and and will support the your new operating system. And uh, Greg Gilly was my boss at the time, and he kind of took point on most of these negotiations. And so at uh, uh, one of the meetings with Apple, uh, this was you know, fairly senior, like director of engineering at Apple at the time. Uh, uh, Greg had asked, you know, if if you don't do this, why would we support your your operating system? And the director of engineering from Apple said said, well, you know, if you don't do this, I'm just going to build my own Photoshop and put you guys out of business. Was his his basic response. Um, to which Greg responded, if you really think that you could do that, I suggest you do because you'll wait make way more money than what you're doing right now. Um, uh, and that turned into kind of a heated argument between the two of them. I, you know, at the time, I actually thought it was going to come to to physical blows, like they were like chest to chest. Is this at Adobe or like, is this meeting this, taking this, place this, at Adobe this or Apple? This was taking place at Adobe. And so they were literally like chest to chest, you know, pointing in each other's faces. Um, uh uh, so after this meeting, the uh, the the person from Apple uh, uh, wrote an email that went to Warnock that was that you know he could no longer negotiate uh, uh, with Adobe because because Greg uh, was a uh, uh, you know was a hothead and uh, so you know if 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 Adobe wanted to continue negotiations it would have to be with somebody else uh, so I got tagged. And was like, okay, so Sean, you get to continue the negotiations around this. And so we set up another meeting. This one was at Apple, and the the meeting was supposed to basically go in in two parts, where where Adobe presented uh, uh, the the business reality of why we wouldn't support Rhapsody as it was, you know, the cost to us of moving our products to a new platform. Um, uh, the opportunity costs involved, the technical challenges, and basically lay out the case for why we weren't going to do it. And, you know, unless Apple kind of met us halfway. And, and on the flip side, Apple was going to present their analysis of the Cyan proposal. Uh, it was myself and Ross Bott. Ross Bott was a uh, uh, you know, a, an executive at Adobe, and he was handling kind of the the number side, the marketing side of it, and I was handling the the technical side of it. And so we go to this meeting, and we do our presentation on the technical aspects and the numbers aspects, and then it's like, okay, Apple, it's your turn to give your presentation, and uh, this uh, same same individual who had been in an argument with Greg uh, says, well, uh, we looked at this proposal that Sean wrote and it can't be built. And like, that was it. They had like no slides, no presentation, no numbers, no anything. <laughs> and I got mad and I'm like, I'm like, that's BS. Uh, he was like, nope, I've had like all the you know best senior engineers we have here look at this. They say, nope, it can't be built. I'm like, like, you're full of <laughs> blank. You know, if you just, if you want to hire me back, let me put my own team together. I'll build it. 
So it went, it went really well then, the meeting. Uh. So, yeah, so the meeting went, went really, really well. Um, so, so I get back to the office, and uh, it, I don't even think the day was over. Um, I get an email uh, from John Warnock, and it's a forward of an email from this director of engineering at Apple. Um uh, that says, uh, you know, that the whole problem with dealing with uh, Adobe uh, was, you know, was was me as a, as an ex Apple employee with an axe to grind, and that I didn't know what I was talking about, and and I was impossible to work with, and so this is just a forwarded email, just slamming me personally. Uh, with a note from John at the top uh, uh, that says, uh, uh, "I want to see you in my office now." <laughs> <laughs> that that was the extent of the note. Uh, so you know, I went through my office thinking, "Okay, well, if I'm getting escorted out of the building, <laughs> what do I want to take home today?" Um, uh, and I, I called, uh, uh, I, I called John's uh, uh, assistant and said, you know, is John sent me this note. He wants to speak with me now. And she said, yeah, he's waiting for you. Come on up. <laughs> um, uh, so you know, go up to the to the 18th floor of the tower. It's it's what you would expect, you know, uh, a CEO's office to be like, right? And um, I I get there and. Uh, uh, John's like, oh, Sean, come on in, come on in. Like, have a seat. I'm like, oh, I'm like shaking and sweating, right? I think this is the end of my career. And uh, uh, he goes, just sit there, just listen. I just want wanted you to be here for this. And uh, uh, he picks up the phone to his assistant and he tells her, can you get Steve on the line? And she says yes, and so there's a pause, and phone rings again, and he picks it up. He's like, "Steve, I'm putting you on speakerphone." Puts it on speakerphone, and it's Steve Jobs from Apple. <laughs> and uh, he goes, he goes, "Hey, Steve, it's John." They go through a couple pleasantries. He goes, "Yep, I'm calling you today about this Rhapsody thing. I just want to tell you, we're not doing it, and we're not discussing it anymore." And he hangs up the phone. (laughs) (laughs) And he turns to me and he says, he says, you know, he said, for them to come back and say that they can't work with you when we had already told them no, and you're the only person who was trying to salvage the situation, uh, he said, is is just ridiculous. He said, so, so we're done. done. (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, I would leave the story there, but for your listeners, the... Time passes, probably about a year and a half uh, uh, from from this point in time, and I'm sitting in my office, you know, at Adobe, working away on on Photoshop, and my phone rings, and I pick it up. I said hello, and they're like, hello, is this Sean Parent? I'm like, yeah, this is Sean Parent. And it's like, this is Steve Jobs. I'm like, yeah. They're like, they're like, no, this is Steve Jobs. I'm like, okay, well, hi, Steve. What can I do for you? And he said, uh, uh, I I'm calling to personally invite you over to Apple. Um, I've got a 
presentation I want to give to some of the Adobe folks. So I'm calling each of you individually and inviting you personally to come over. So it gives me the time, and it was myself and Greg and uh, Mark Hamburg, who was who was a technical lead on Photoshop at the time. A couple of other people from some of the non-Photoshop product teams also. And we go over to this meeting at Apple, and Steve comes into the room, and he said, this is what I'm going to present at uh, WWDC, which is Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference, in about two weeks. And he goes through a set of slides for, for Mac OS X. And um, he said, so we're going to be announcing Mac OS X at WWDC. And here's the slide deck. And he goes, I want Adobe's commitment here and now that you guys will support OS X. And I said, this is very interesting. What's the difference between this and Cyan? And he said, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like okay and uh, so we said you know we had a conversation and we had enough people in the room we said we can commit to this and he said okay I want to show Photoshop running on OS X in two weeks <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we said we'll do our best and uh uh, yeah, a bunch of us got very little sleep for two weeks, and and you can look it up online. Uh, you can probably hunt it down and find a link in the show notes. Uh, uh, but Greg, Greg Gilly presented Photoshop uh, running on on OS X at uh, WWDC two weeks later, and and it's a uh, it's a horrible presentation because Greg was completely sleep deprived and he starts uh, uh, rambling about how he was, you know, writing code during the family barbecue the, 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 the night before the, the WWDC. And so it kind of goes into this long ramble about his family barbecue. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, you know, Photoshop is it's all crazy, and I'm dealing with all the buyers that are coming up and dealing with that. And um, so, and then my brother comes in town, and so I've got him and his family, um, and so we, you know, are trying to run around with them. And so actually, on, on this past Friday, I actually went down to uh, Monterey Bay Aquarium and uh, left the machine with a couple of engineers on the Photoshop team who finally got to the point where they were, the discs were going to manufacturing, so they were had a few minutes of time and they fixed a couple of things which had been nagging me and then so Saturday we had a barbecue in my backyard and I was I was in there I was fixing trying to get the last couple of things fixing trying to get them worked and I burned the steaks um, so my wife gave me grief for that but <clears throat> and let's see and then of course Sunday was Mother's Day and didn't 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 you say that when Steve like unveiled this at WD, WWDC, didn't he say something like they said it <laughs> yes. couldn't be done? Yes. Which you found amusing because a year earlier it was him, <laughs> Apple, who had said it couldn't, said be, it done. couldn't yes. be done. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, he, oh. he did use exactly those words. They, you know, whoever they were, and and it was it was somewhat <laughs> annoying. Um, yeah, there there was there's 
there's so many interesting side stories in this in this time frame because the the cyan proposal went a little further after apple turned it down which was one of the people who i'd worked with at at, at apple he had actually started as kind of mine and scott boyd's intern at apple eric trout he he wrote the dynamic recompiling emulator uh, for uh, 68k to powerpc uh, that that Apple was using, and I knew uh, Greg Galanos, who had created a company called MetroWorks, and they kind of had Apple's development tools, but development tools for the Apple platform, uh, Code Warrior tools, which were very popular at the time. Uh, but something else that uh, MetroWorks had was a library that emulated some of the Macintosh on PCs. Now I'm drawing a blank as to what the the name of the library were was. Um, you know, so long as you kind of recompiled. And uh, Eric then had worked at Connectix, and they did something called Speed Doubler, which was a way to to, to speed up uh, the the emulated portions of PowerPC systems at the at the time uh, at this company Connectix. He later went on to Microsoft and worked on the hypervisor, and he's now retired. Eric and I kind of got together and kicked this around and said, you know, we know enough people that we could build a Mac compatible system if Apple's going to kill the Mac, we could put together a consortium of companies basically to build Mac compatibles. And, you know, Macs at the time had opened themselves up for cloning. Uh, so there were these hardware manufacturers that had geared up uh, to build Mac clones. And then when Steve Jobs came back in, he kind of shut down all the clones. And so companies like IBM had been geared up to build PowerPC Macs and then had to shut it all down. And uh, uh, we knew uh, folks at B, which was a company that built an operating system that ran on, on PowerPCs. And so we kind of hatched this idea of, well, we could take BOS and we could take the MetroWorks library and we could take the, the, the technology that Eric had been working on and we could put together all of these pieces and we could build Mac compatible power PCs and we know all the hardware manufacturers who were going to build Mac clones and perhaps they would be interested in building Mac clones uh, without, you know, without Apple. And we scheduled a, a, a meeting. It was going to be just a handful of basically engineer types to talk about the technical feasibility um, over at B headquarters. Uh, this had kind of leaked beyond the engineers who were talking about it to executives. And so I walked into this room and it was, you know, Jean-Louis Gasset, who was, he had been at Apple and had then started the B Corporation and, and senior executives from, from IBM and these other companies. And, and we sat for an hour and discussed the technical feasibility and it, uh, uh, what it basically came down to is could we get the software manufacturers, the big software manufacturers, to commit to support this platform, right? If we were going to build a consortium of companies, could we get the software to back it up? And that led me back to, to John Warnock's office to say, hey, would you support this uh, 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 Mac clone? And John came back and said, no, I, I, I wouldn't. He said, he said, for two reasons. One is... It's a high-risk thing," he said. He said, "I think," he said, "in his opinion, he said he thinks that the uh, hardware manufacturers are actually playing you." He said they have a bunch of sunk costs into building Mac clones that they're looking to recoup, 
and they want to do one generation and burn off their hardware, and then they'll be done with this. Um, uh, so he said, from a business standpoint, I th he said, I think you know you're getting used, so so tread carefully. And he said the other thing he said that he had learned, he said, was to never take Steve on head to head. He said it's one thing to tell Steve, you know, I'm doing this or I'm not doing this. It's another thing to actually go and try to compete with the man. And um, uh, he said that he said he's you know he has a long relationship with Steve, which, you know, the whole laser writer thing and Adobe got started largely out of Steve's support from from Apple. And so so he said, I'm not gonna go compete against Steve head to head. And so 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 I'm out. And kind of without Adobe's commitment, we couldn't get Microsoft's commitment and the whole strategy just kind of unraveled. And, uh, uh, but you know, where were you working at the time? I was at, I was at Adobe. You still on Adobe, gotcha. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, so I was at Adobe for, uh, uh, from 93 until 2009. And then I went to Google for a little over a year and then back to Adobe. And I've been at Adobe since. It must have been pretty, like, there's not a lot of people that can, uh, stand up to Steve Jobs. And it sounds like John Warnack was one of them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, there, there, are, you know, a, a few other stories. You know, I, I was in a few meetings during that time period with Steve, um, and John was one of the few people who would uh, stand up to Steve, and there seemed to be a huge amount of respect there. You know, you know, John, I, you know, I actually saw, you know, John tell Steve, Steve, have a seat, and, and Steve kind of, you know, shut up and. <laughs> And sat down. If I recall correctly, the background of that story was, wasn't it that Steve had come into the meeting and started asking each person in the meeting who they were and why they were there and then telling them whether or not to remain in the meeting? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was Steve's, Steve's MO. Steve would t tend to arrive to meetings a little early. And uh, even, you know, this was a meeting at Adobe, so this was not a meeting that he had and he would walk into the meeting and people who were already there and then people who came into the room his question was uh, uh, you know why are you here and person might give you know well I'm the so-and-so you know I, I, I people answer that question with their title right 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 I'm, I'm the lead on blank product he'd be like that wasn't the question why are you here now <laughs> so and if you didn't give a, an acceptable answer, he was he was like, "You don't need to be here. Get out." Such <laughs> <laughs> a, nice a nice guy. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, kind of everything you see in the movies about him is 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 you know has has some amount of accuracy. You know, he's a, a incredibly smart guy. Um, had an incredible aura around him, you know, if you will, right? The, the kind of, you know, reality distortion field that he's mm. he's he's famous for um, uh, uh, could convince you of almost anything. Mm. And um, and and you know, in in many ways, that served him very well, right? He was a very good motivator, and would push people outside of their limits. And a lot of times. You know, it was just by telling people, you know, no, that's not, that's not right. I don't know what's right. That's not it. Do better. Mm -hmm. 
right? <laughs> right, and just pushing people to go back and do better and try again and to to try to impress the man. Mm. And so uh, I wouldn't say he was an individual who I'd ever want as a friend, but uh, you know, as somebody running the company, he was very effective. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I, there's nothing I love more than uh, than Sean uh, war stories from that that particular period of time. <laughs> I think the first time, uh, it was the first time we met Sean. Uh, and so for those that aren't familiar with Silicon Valley, uh, Adobe's headquarters are in San Jose, which is sort of at the bottom of Silicon Valley. And I think Apple's offices, either the, the new one or the old one, have always been in Cupertino. So is that where those meetings were taking place, going back and forth between Cupertino and San Jose? Yeah, yeah, it would have been. Uh, uh, that time it was, you know, the, the Infinite Loop building, right. uh, which was in, in Cupertino. Um, but yeah, the, the first time I met uh, Sean, we had lunch in the cafeteria of the Adobe headquarters. And I was, I think I we had lunch for like, I don't know, two hours or two and a half hours. It was very kind of you to spend that much time with me. And I heard all these stories. And when you were telling me the one uh, where you go up to John Warnock's, <laughs> the CEO's office, like... I thought for sure you were going to get fired because the the way the story goes is like you're sent in there as like the second negotiator and told, been told, all right, so, you know, it didn't go well the first time. You know, let's try and be friends. We want to be nice. We want to have Apple. And then you come out of it just as much of, you know, having having gotten an argument. Um, and then and then uh, the the punchline of that, of of the CEO getting Steve Jobs on the phone and and saying, no, thanks. Because it's a good, you sort of, in the midst of hearing the story, you forget that um, you essentially had written a proposal like for Apple. It wasn't really for Adobe. It was, you. your proposal was like, hey, Apple's asking us for this and we're saying no. Um, and you went out of your way to write a proposal for Apple that said, hey, if you do this, we can work together. It wasn't for Adobe uh, per se. Right. It, it was for the partnership between the companies. And you you lose sight of that because the story is so amazing. And then at the end of it, you sort of realize, oh, yeah, Sean was the only one that was like nobody else. Like, you know, for, for all we know, uh, you know, your, your direct reports or people you were reporting to were saying, OK, you can spend a, a little bit of time. But like we got other stuff to do. So, um, you know, don't waste two weeks writing up this proposal or whatever. Um, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Yep. It's yep. an amazing story. Yep. And I've heard, you know, I've heard conflicting stories from from inside of of apple the you know what was referred to as blue box which was kind of cyan was built my understanding is largely by the quickdraw team which quickdraw also had like a compatibility layer that they had built for for windows boxes Uh, and so i've heard that you know uh, uh, the cyan proposal had nothing to do with with osx and it was developed completely independently and then i've heard like no it had everything to do with it and you know it wouldn't have been developed if it hadn't been for 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 the cyan proposal you know i think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle right right i think you know i don't think it was a unique idea and i think anybody who i had worked with at apple because we had been working on how do we support the evolution of the mac onto new operating systems Uh, you know anybody who i had worked with who was still there would have come to the same conclusion. But I also think that having Adobe say no in less was a huge motivating factor, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's um, it's interesting because it reminds me of a lot of interactions that I have where, you know, it, it's not uncommon for somebody's initial reaction to a thing to be 
it can't be done or this is a bad idea or we shouldn't do this. And I think really the 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 key thing is not an initial reaction. The key thing, like when presented with a new idea that maybe challenges your your perceptions, the key thing is when you go and think about it and you realize, hey, maybe maybe this this was actually right. Maybe my gut reaction was just me being defensive. What do you do next? Because you you can either double down or you can uh, um, you know you can say, oh yeah, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna change my position. And uh, one of the things I've noticed about people that I consider very intelligent and, and who I've seen as being very successful is they are, when they recognize that they were wrong, they have no shame and no remorse about switching their position to what they now believe to be the reality of the world. And so like, yeah, you know, obviously Apple, Apple doesn't come off well in that engagement, but at least they, they eventually recognized that they needed to do the thing. Yes. And yeah. And, and, and you know, I I think that that's that's very true. Um, uh, I'm notorious in meetings for arguing all sides of a problem. You know, I will argue against myself in <laughs> in a meeting, and and people are like, "Wait, you just said this other thing," and I'm like, "Well, now I'm taking the other position, right? So let's let's let's." let's figure this out. And, and I'll frequently tell people when they say, you know, you can't do that. I'm like, do you know I can't do that? You know, do, do you know that that can't be done? Or do you just not know how to do it? Those are two different things. And, and you know, if you know that can't be done, put together the rational argument, right? Right. Connect the dots and, and, and basically, you know, prove it, prove that can't be done. So I think uh, yes, yes. People are 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 too dismissive, and a lot of times in my career, you know, I've I've had a significant impact just because I've been like, no, you know, I can see that 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 this is doable, and it's not a huge amount of work, and it can be scoped, and uh, and there's a path that can get us from from A to B, and. And it just comes out of sitting down and trying to look at, you know, okay, you know, people say it would be great if we could do blank, but everybody says we can't do blank. And I'm like, do we, <laughs> does, you know, is that really, we can't do blank or is that just a bunch of people saying we don't know how to do blank. Yeah. And so let's yeah. go, go actually dig in and take a look at that problem. My, uh, my youngest of three sisters, uh, Piper, she works in finance, and uh, she has this quote. I think it's of Ray Dalio, um, but it could be from some other famous hedge fund person that says, uh, like, genius or brilliance is the ability to hold, like, multiple points of view in your head at the same time and, like, compare and contrast them because uh, a lot of times in meetings you see, you know, people go head to head, um, but, like, r- real brilliance is like the ability to you know do what you were doing is you know take one side of an argument and then take the other side of the argument um because uh, at the end of the day you shouldn't just be stuck to a decision because that's the one that you chose you should be looking at all angles um which is it's a hard thing to do um yeah i think it's important also to kind of seek out people who view the world differently than you do you know in in tech and uh an individual who at at adobe uh, mark hamburg you know, he was was lead on Photoshop when I joined the Photoshop team, and then he and I worked later on a product called Revel, and uh, uh, so we've we've worked together off and on you know, for gosh, it's getting close to 30 years now. 
for you know he's he's an absolutely brilliant individual but he always manages to come at a problem uh, from the opposite direction that i come at it from you know 180 degrees opposed and and at first glance between whatever the two of us are are proposing as solutions you would think that you know one of the two has to be wrong and and i have a huge amount of amount of respect for mark technically and his brain just works very differently than than mine does he solves problems in a very different way than i solve problems and what i usually find is is we're notorious for having these long drawn out very vocal arguments um uh, but yeah we're good friends we'll go out and get a beer afterwards the when we have these arguments it's like we both end up learning something mm. right right and and usually we end up on a better solution than if either of us were trying to tackle the same problem alone and so he's somebody whose input i will i will seek out even though for whatever it is when i'm like oh i'm thinking about doing this and here's how i do it his initial response is going to be is going to be you're wrong that's like a stupid way to do it right <laughs> Right, right, and I just know and expect that, and it's like, okay, so, so, but he's going to propose something that's completely different, which at first glance I will say, well, that looks ridiculous. Um, uh, uh, but if I take the time to understand what he's saying, it's like, no, that's not ridiculous. There's some some amount of brilliance in there, and if I if I understand where he's coming from, I'll end up in a better place. And so, mm-hmm. so I think in tech we tend to people tend to gravitate gravitate towards people who affirm their own you know their own belief systems and they form these little clusters and they kind of push out outside influences and it's like no you want you you know it's like it's like you don't want to be the smartest person in the room and you don't want uh to work in an environment that's 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 homogenous, you know, that's, uh, that, that everybody's viewing things the same way. And that's why we should all learn APL. Perfect way to close it out. Uh. <laughs> yeah. 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 Perfect. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed and have a great day.